This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Ashley Dvorkin for Fox News Radio, and we're spending a few moments with Frank Oz, director, actor, puppeteer, performer, the man who brought us so many treasured characters like Miss Piggy, Grover, Fozzie Bear, Yoda, don't want to forget Yoda, and is now introducing his first documentary called Muppet Guys Talking, which is literally that, originators of the original Muppets sharing behind-the-scenes stories. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you. And so first talk about who joins you for this and what it was like for you to have this reunion and get to reminisce. Well, it wasn't really a reunion because we know each other so well. We see each other all the time. And actually, um, the people were Fran Brill. Uh, who uh, does several characters on Sesame Street? Dave Goles, who also does characters, a lot of characters, Bunsen, Honeydew, to Gonzo, and Bill Beretta, and Jerry Nelson, and I. And um, actually, Bill and uh, Dave are still working, uh, and so it's not like a reunion. Mm-hmm. But it was Victoria LeBalm, a producer, who said, It's time, we gotta let everybody know what it was like to work with Jim Henson. Yeah, and that is a huge part of this. You all talk about lessons learned, working with him. So what do you want people to know about what he taught you, what it was like working for him, the environment he created? Well, Jim was a singular individual. I mean, I traveled so much with him over all the years. And when you're working with somebody, you don't know how singular they are until they're gone. Um, And I think just that... There's a different way to work in this world. In this cynical world, you actually can work with purity and authenticity and collaboration and caring each other about each other without being namby-pamby little elves, okay? Because we're not namby-pamby. We try and screw each other over all the time, okay? But we care about each other, and you can work very, very hard very hard, 24 hours a day, and you can still have fun. You can still have fun working on something you don't want to work on. Mm-hmm. And Jim taught us that. And Jim taught us basically, not taught us his senses of of telling us verbally, but rather just because he was who he was, and we just experienced it. And so we just want to have this documentary, number one, for people to have a lot of fun, because it's pretty funny, mm-hmm. uh, pretty weird. Uh, and the other thing is, underneath is to to share with people in the world during, as I said, this cynical time, that you can really do good stuff, work toward excellence, and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that that translated on screen then? How this environment, this joyful environment, you and you also talk about in the film how it was a very inclusive environment, how he was open to everybody's suggestions too. How do you feel that translated through the show? I think... By telling stories and uh, by explaining all these secrets that we did and the manner in which we did it, I think people got it kind of by osmosis and assimilation, not really by us telling. Because, geez, if, if we told you how wonderful it was to work with Jim, you'd be bored to tears, you know? It'd be like uh, didactic, ridiculous people. So we just had a good time. 
in the documentary, but I think you kind of you kind of got it through the pores if you watched it. Mm -hmm. Definitely with the documentary and with the Muppets uh, on TV, too, how you also discuss this in in the documentary, how it there are messages that, you know, that show can send out that are so positive. Yeah. So how you feel, you know, the effect that it really did have in that way. Yeah. You know, uh, (laughs) We we did this show for ourselves, so we're we're not that altruistic. We're very selfish people. <laughs> we just have fun for ourselves, and you, and these these messages. I'm I'm not crazy about giving messages. Sure. I feel it's I I, I I I who am I to give messages? But just by the people that who we are, and by the people that learn from Jim, you know. Things do come out. They just do. You can't avoid it when you're doing, when you're doing a character, you're doing a show. There's still a part of you in that. And so it was – it during those shows, it was a, a, a time where we would play with each other in a small room, every, you know, shooting a thing. And then we'd go off to lunch and do the next thing. We haven't th- – we never think about the millions of people it affects. Never. Mm-hmm. We can't grasp that. That's too big. You know, you can't grasp right now that you're talking and there are people listening, thousands and thousands of people listening to you. You can't grasp that. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is talking with me, right? Yeah. Same thing with us. <laughs> we just played around and did the very best we could. And then the rest is kind of up to um, what it is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, too, is that you think about it and you think that it's a show and for kids and people grew up on the show. But even as the documentary points out, in the beginning, half of the people watching were adults. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> we've never done anything for kids, ever. Uh, I mean, there were some shows, I think, I wasn't part of it, who were that were specifically for kids. But when I was so much of a part of it, we've never done it for kids. We, you know, I, I've said this before. I mean, it's, I think it's ridiculous when you say, okay, I'm going to do something for a kid, a child. How the hell do you know what a child thinks? Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I didn't know what I think, thought. So as an adult, what do I know what children think? I have no idea. And what's the difference between a children's performer and an adult performer? You tell me. I mean, right. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I think people think children's performer, you have to talk down to them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've said this before, but, but it's such a strong memory. When I was in the fourth grade, and I was Mrs. Henderson's class, and uh, I had a crush on her. Um, <laughs> and uh, there was an educator who was auditing the class. And uh, she went to every child along the row and talked to them. And she came to my desk, and she said, well, what are you doing, little man? And I thought, why is she talking to me like that? You know? Yeah. And that's kind of when you talk to children, that's what you talk to. We don't do that. We just, we're just ourselves. And the, the kids will, the kids want to reach up. They don't want to reach down. They'll go down. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then another thing that you see a lot of, the backstories. It's a fun tidbit that all of these characters had backstories. So why was that important to do? For me, uh, I can't speak for the others. But I have to have backstories in some of my characters. Like Animal doesn't have a big backstory. Right. Piggy, because he's just he's he's primeval. You know, mm-hmm. there's not much <laughs> there's not much behind a primeval character. Uh, Piggy has a, a a very detailed backstory, uh, and, and it's because you guys don't have to know that, mm-hmm. but I have to know it. I have to have a sense of 
gravitas and seriousness about each one in order to make them funny. And also, if I'm going to ad lib, I've got to know where the wellspring is that I'm ad libbing from. I can't just ad lib. I've got to, and I do a lot, but I've got to know that particular character deeply in order to have my ad libs come out pure and authentic to the character. Can you share one of those examples in terms of where the backstory most helped you in an ad lib that maybe became some classic, you know, phrase or saying or quote, or one of your favorites backstories that you pulled from? Um. Boy, I've said this before, but here's my problem. I've done so many interviews like this, which I enjoy, but when I'm asked to tell an anecdote or funny story, I totally choke. (laughs) I mean, I really need you to go at the end of the day, have a couple of beers in the bar, and then I relax and I can tell you. And then you tell it. But I swear to God, I I, I choke on this stuff. Okay, what what, what, what was funny? What what did I think? What what did I live? And I just can't do it. No, no, that's fine. I think that what, and and some people have heard this now because obviously you've been talking about the movie and stuff. Um, But Miss Piggy, there's a, I'll just, I'll go with that one because it was at the top of my mind. Um, Has a more, like a, not troubled, but she has, a serious past that we didn't Absolutely. know about. That <laughs> if, if she had a funny past, she wouldn't be funny. Right. She One has to have a seriousness in order to be funny, in my opinion, for a character, the way I work. So, yeah, Piggy, if you want to use her, she, sure. you know, as a child, she was, uh, she was beloved by her father and uh, called Little Princess. And, uh, but the, her father died in a tractor accident on the farm. My goodness. And... Um, and so she and her mother were on the farm alone. It was a very tough life. And then, and she had to work hard. And then as, as the time went on and Peggy grew, her mother had suitors to come, but the suitors all of a sudden started getting more interested in Piggy than her mother. Wow. And so that caused tremendous tension between the two of them. So Piggy decided to leave. And she was a woman on her own mm-hmm. and a pig in our society and it was tough for her and knowing she was a pig and she had to survive in our society she went to charm school to make sure that she behaved in a way that people expected women in our society to behave Hmm. so she went to charm school if she didn't she would have been a truck driver underneath. Mm-hmm. She, would have, she would have acted like a truck driver. So she, she went to charm school. So, so that was a cover. That coyness was a cover. And then at times, though, especially when her frog rejects her, especially when people make fun of her uh, singing or dancing, then the cover blows and she wants to kill people and cut them off at the knees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's the cover and her pain that she knows she's being rejected, that she knows she's uh, an anomaly and a fish out of water, that she knows she's not that talented. It's all the cover that she is that makes it funny. Absolutely. And when people know the character so well, you you kind of then you're putting this puzzle together in your mind. You see, okay, I mean, we all know Miss Piggy. And when she, you know, goes on stage and even if she can't sing, she's belting it out with it. You know, now, you know, now, you know why nothing, nothing is getting in her way. No, She has bravado (laughs) because because she knows if she doesn't, she doesn't have anything. Mm-hmm. No, and that's just one. I mean, you share a lot, and every and everybody shares different backstories, and it just adds so much to this yeah. whole story that yeah. people know some of. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it's 
you know, the idea of making something funny is not difficult. You can drop your pants and be funny. <laughs> it's the quality of the laughter that I care about, not the laughter itself. And that has a lot to do with the backstory for me. Sure. And something else that we'll learn about is the art of puppetry and how difficult it is, not just voicing. There's so many elements that go into it. And it's also dangerous. Can you talk about that? I mean, it's not. this is not an easy job by any means. No, but that comes with the territory, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we uh, we spend long, long hours. Well, I spent. I haven't performed for about ten years. Right. When I became a director, I kind of had to stop. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, long, long hours. But then again, you guys do long hours. Everybody does long hours, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what it is. It yeah. Comes with the territory. Uh, and plumbers do long hours, and locksmiths do long hours. We're all, you know, we're not that different. Um, so uh, I forgot the question all of a sudden. I went off into a tangent. <laughs> no, it's it's a dangerous job, oh, the dangerous too. Thing. I mean, the, well, the, danger the positioning is, to make it happen. Yeah, the danger is in that Jim Henson would do anything for the shot. Yeah. <laughs> anything. Uh, he's had arrows, bow and arrow just shot at him just just a, a few feet away from him. And, he, you know, and we were in... So many dangerous situations, uh, up in helicopters, a uh, thousand feet up in the sky, and and underground, and uh, but it was all get the shot, and they all it was all to do the impossible because if we if Jim accepted the limitations of the puppets, then they would be puppets. Mm-hmm. But Jim never accepted limitations of anything. And by not accepting limitations and always pushing towards the the edge of the envelope, they became more. They transcended who they were, mm-hmm. uh, in part because of of that of doing the impossible, but also in part because certainly the professionality and the and the, and the purity and the authenticity of the people doing the characters. Yeah, and and it's incredible because then you're also thinking, okay, and they have to make sure that you know the character is talking and looking in the right way. It's not just even being in those situations. Then the performance happens. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's uh, I've shot about a dozen feature films and you know up to a hundred million dollars and and. The Muppets are absolutely the hardest films to shoot. Hmm. Much harder than regular normal films. With you know, I remember I was I was uh, after I did uh, Dark Crystal with Jim, helped him direct that movie, and then I, then he asked me to direct uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, and then I directed Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. and the next thing was my first live one, which is George Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, and I remember you know I I remember looking in the first dailies and thinking, it's only Steve. And Michael Caine just talking. This is so boring. And there's no bright colors. There's no, there's no eating plant. And I thought, this is what's going on. It's too easy you know, because we have so much physical stuff. We have we have to look at monitors. We got to make sure that we're not blocking the other person when we're performing. We got to make sure we pick up our cues. We got to make sure that we, we you know that we're not in a way of a light. We got to make sure that we're that we're we're not bumping the other person underneath. We got to make you know constant and so. That's really the hard stuff. Absolutely. And I know you already sort of mentioned this is hard to wrap your head around, but what does it mean to you or can you step back at any time and realize how much a part of people's lives all of this is or or how much of an effect you've had on their lives? I mean, people grew up with this show. They've had their kids grow up with the show. and And it just means so much even when people meet you, you know, in the hallway and from yeah. from the show to your movies. 
Yeah, you know, I... My wife has taken a long time to convince me that what I'm doing has value um, because I just I just do what I do. Uh, and, and actually, what I did, what I did. I mean, I'm, again, I haven't performed for a long time. But um, it's, it is it is so hard to grasp. Uh, I joined Twitter recently, and I hated social media. Uh, I... I because I have enough friends, thank you. Mm-hmm. And friends is a bastardized, ter- bastardized term on social media, I think. Um, but I joined Twitter to help the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I haven't talked about the documentary, but having too much fun on Twitter just talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I get all these people, you know, thanking me for what I've done. Yep. And I know when they thank me, I'm representative of Jim and all the other people and the workshop people. It's not just me. Yeah. But I'm, I, I get all that stuff, and I, I think number one, it's very unhealthy if you believe it. Uh, and number two, I think even if you believe it, you've got to not believe it. You've got to. I do my own laundry. I do my dishes. I don't have an assistant. Mm-hmm. I think the more one, as a director in a way, the more one disassociates oneself from daily life the less authentic one can be in, in one's work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even though, yes, I realize that the more and more I'm on Twitter and the more people talk to me about it, on purpose, I disregard it completely and continue on doing my dishes and everything. Mm-hmm. Because that has value to be just a human being by itself as opposed to a special human being that everybody thinks you know is, has helped them. So anyway, I can't. That's too large to grasp. It's, it's a yeah. It has to be. It has to be. But obviously, you hear. You know, you brought a lot of these shows. These characters brought a lot of joy to people. They, they did, and I and I and again, it's not just me. One doesn't work in a vacuum. If mm-hmm. I, uh, one has to have Jim and the other guys, and including Franny, who's a guide, <laughs> one of our guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has to have those relationships underneath the characters because we love each other that way to have the relationships of the characters yeah and what are your thoughts on future adaptation adaptations or or reimaginings or just bringing the Muppets back Um, Disney for the upcoming streaming service might do it so what are your thoughts when it comes to the the continuous um, revisiting of the Muppets and and are you you know do you get very you know precious and protective over it or is it good that it's continuing what do you think well I'm in conflict I mean on the one hand uh, I haven't performed for about ten years right because well because no one's asked me actually uh, people haven't asked me to do it <laughs> uh, but also because uh, you know when I'm doing a, a directing a movie for a year I can't say you can't use my characters I can't do that so yeah. I allowed those characters to be taken over so on the one hand uh, I, I'm you know I'm in conflict because I really love those characters and it hurts me when I don't do them yeah. it hurts me when others do them on the other hand I'm so grateful to Eric and all the others for doing them or else they wouldn't be around so mm-hmm. I, it's, a, it's a conflict that I think will never be resolved uh, as far as the future of the Muppets goes and everything I'm not a part of it mm-hmm. I mean uh, it, Disney owns them right. you know and so, although does, Disney does not own the Sesame Street characters, right? Uh, but in both cases, um, I'm not asked my opinion or anything, and I, and that's okay. Uh, and and they'll just do what they do. I, I I just hope that they listen to the performers and don't bring people in who 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 don't really understand 
the characters. It's, it's, one can't just come in and write for you. They don't, you, they don't know who you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who, who, who? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I can write for her. I know. I know. They don't. They can't. They don't know your soul. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I just hope people will understand that. In order to know the souls of the characters, they'll go to the performers, and that's the best way for Disney to make their money is to is to approach it from the soul and not from imposition. You know, that's what I think. Sure, yeah. And, okay, I just want to ask about a couple other projects while you're here. Yoda. Just want to ask about revisiting Yoda mm-hmm. for Star Wars, mm-hmm. The Last Jedi, and what that was like. And, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, would there be more for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, that's how I would, you know, as, as years went by, George would call me and say, you want to do it? And i say, yeah, sure. Uh, and so this time Ryan asked me, and I said, "Yeah, sure." So it's it's uh, it's you know I have a day job, so it's not like right. I, <laughs> I, I'm reliant on, but I love doing them. It's a ch- huge challenge, and I love that huge challenge, you know. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm always ready to do Yoda. I love them. Great and Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Because even last year, there was a screening with the original ending. Mm-hmm. And for those who may not know, the original ending was from the musical The Plant Wins, just, you know, to sum it up. Right, right. <laughs> the Plant Wins, which is not how it ended in the movie. Right. And so what does it mean to you to have that? Or, or what do you think when, when you know that people are now seeing it, the original version, and and still analyzing the change, switching it well, out? it's really nice. It's after 30 years, it's still being talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the original ending on the stage that Howard Ashman wrote was that all the characters die because, rightfully so, that the character Seymour made a bargain with the devil. Mm-hmm. And he killed people. Uh, maybe unknowingly, but he still did. So he deserved to die. So on stage, that's fine, because on stage you can die and you can come back and take a curtain call, and you're alive. In movies, you can't. In movies, you die and you die. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't come back for a curtain call. Right. And so uh, that was the main reason that we had to change the ending to a happy ending, because as much as they loved the entire movie and the previews, they couldn't accept that these two people they loved died mm-hmm. and they really died they didn't come out for a bow uh, so now uh, many people even though they've seen the original ending where the plant wins because it's making a point of marketing and how people sell their souls in order to 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 have things happen I'm not going to say that things are that that's uh, reflective of anything today but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, or ever no, well, it was it was a metaphor, but it had oh yeah yeah so, sort of had to be so I'm sorry yeah it's a metaphor and, and, and but at the same time <gasps> people who've seen the original ending prefer the old ending the the happy ending mm. and I get that I understand that yeah you know, but Howard and I wanted to go for the original ending gave it to Geffen said guys you can't do that you can't kill your main characters and and Howard and I said well we want to tra- stay true to it and David was right yeah he was right okay so yeah even looking back so you've heard that people who have even now seen the original ending. Um, preferred the, yeah. the happier ending. Yeah. So I was curious about audiences now. I mean, not just have we seen so much, and but we're used to analysis and metaphors, and, and there's a lot of that in film now. So I'd actually be curious if an audience now would, would feel the same way. I think an audience, 
I think an audience intellectually really appreciates the ending, yeah, the original ending. But I think the heart of them always wants a satisfying ending, a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've I've learned that through all my filmmaking that never underestimate uh, the audience's need for not a happy ending, but a satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. So one can still have a satisfying ending and have your hero die, if it's for a greater cause. But we made an ending that was not satisfying. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah, closure. Um, okay, so I want to just end on Muppet Guys talking one more question because it's released online and you're releasing it online. Right. And this was not theatrical and it is online right now. Right. So just why you chose to do it that way? Well, you know, we, it came from Jim, actually, because our spirit is rebellious. Our spirit is, spirit is you know, anarchic, uh, and that's who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're affectionate to, to each other, uh, but there's this anarchy and rebellion there, and we shot it that way. I shot it in such a way that it was dirty, which means you saw the cameras in the background, <laughs> the cameras are shaking. Uh, because that reflected the spirit of the Muppets. And if we had gone to a Netflix or an Amazon or something, that wouldn't have been the Muppets. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to continue that rebellious nature through the manner in which we distributed it. And we took a chance. I mean, I'm probably going to lose money on it, but it doesn't matter to me. I, I want people to understand how it was to work with Jim. That's the most important thing to me. And so we... We are now doing it online on our own on our own website, mm-hmm. MuppetGuysTalking.com. It's the only place you can get it, and uh, you know we're we're just gonna we're just offering it to a lot of people to see how how people can really well first of all because it's funny, <laughs> <laughs> it but is, also, <laughs> but all, because people really have to understand that there's another way to work, another way to live. You don't have to work with politics all the time. You can really honestly work with people who you care about, work towards excellence, work like a son of a gun, and uh, and have a good time uh, and not be little Christmas elves that you can screw each other over too. Right, right. You know? Yes, and you definitely get that from the film. So it's a very it's, supportive camaraderie. And it a, is, but it's also not a nice camaraderie. Well, right, <laughs> and you talk about that in the film too, the jokes that you would all play oh, on yeah. each other. It's oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So so it, it, that's the reason why we wanted to keep that rebellious spirit throughout, uh, even at the cost of losing money. I guess we could have gotten more elsewhere, but we want to keep that rebellious spirit. That That's all that matters to us. Great. Well, thank you so much, Frank. And they can they can check that out online. They can also tweet comments to you now because I know you, like you said, you joined Twitter last year. Uh, yeah, during actually, starting... I, just, I joined Twitter the on the drive to the Star Wars premiere in Los Angeles. Fantastic. Good timing. <laughs> yeah, my wife joined and made me join it in the limousine. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Really well, appreciate thanks. it. Well, thanks so much, and hopefully people will go to MuppetGuysTalking.com and. And, and and really get get the idea of how 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 to work with the way the way Jim Hansen worked with us. Great, well, thank you, and thank you for listening. We've just spent a few moments with Frank Oz. Oh, I'm actually longer than a few moments. Come on, <laughs> we'll call it a few moments. We spent a lot of like, moments, like five hours for God's sake. <laughs> it was all good with Frank Oz, and this is Ashley Dworkin for Fox News Radio.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.